Hello and welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. I'm Simon Pooley and my guest today is Julian Jones. Julian recently relocated to Perth, Australia, where he offers spoon carving workshops, tool sharpening services, and where he sells his work at local markets. In this podcast, we talked about these things and about how he discovered spoon carving, what he enjoys about it so much, and how it is to teach and earn money with green woodwork. He is creating great content on his YouTube channel, Little Bear Sloyd. It was a fun conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. So, hey, Julian, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, so I look forward to uh, yeah, talking to you and asking you some some questions. And for me, it's always interesting when I talk to people is to discuss kind of current work they're doing and things they're doing at the moment, and also to go back to the start to kind of what brought us into the spoon carving and how we ended up here. So that's kind of my idea uh, today. And as far as I can tell, you're now doing this, um, making a living off spoon carving and the things kind of around spoon carving. Is that right? Uh, it's it's pretty much right. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't describe what I do as as making a living, but it is my job, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm doing a variety of things, um, but I'm lucky lucky to be in a position where I sort of have have the time and the ability to work on what I want to do. Um, so sort of getting a good return for my time is on my mind, but it's not the driving force behind what I do. Okay. And so you yeah, you ended up in this position you are now, living the living the life you are now in yeah. Perth with your family and yeah. doing the things you do. And yeah. yeah, if we go back to the start, is there a point where you remember kind of where you can say, ah, this led me to where we are now? Like this could maybe as way back to childhood, if you enjoyed doing things with your hand back back then, if you enjoyed doing stuff like that as um, a child or? Well, when I when I was growing up, I was always fascinated with with wood and sort of bushcrafty type stuff. But spoon carving is, is something that came to me a bit later in life what what i always had a, a pocket knife and i w- always would sort of be dinking around in the shed but my my projects uh when i was younger would, would always be sort of boy scout type stuff like bows and arrows and and wooden knives and trying to make i was uh, for a time i was obsessed with making walking sticks and and staffs and i i've made sort of dozens and dozens of bows and arrows and none of them ever worked. <laughs> okay. But it sounds like, yeah, then as a child, it wasn't spoons yet, but walking around yeah. with a pocket knife is, is the probably yeah. the start of this relationship with carving stuff and chopping stuff. And, and Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was always, and anytime we would go on a holiday, I was always digging around the Creek trying to find something to whittle. Um, yeah. But I never, sort of connected the dots into making that like an adult sort of mature hobby until like, I guess, five, five years ago, four years ago now. Um, so the, the story goes, um, and it's not much of a story, but I'll tell it anyway. I, w- I was um, on a holiday to Canada with my partner. Um, I was going over there to meet her family who live in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And it was, we were snowed in. Um, it was it was an unseasonable cold snap there. It was winter, but it was like extremely ridiculously cold. Like for me as an Australian bloke, it was just colder than I'd ever experienced. Mm-hmm. I think when I when I touched down off the plane, it was it was in the negative thirty Celsius, which is just mind boggling to me at the time. Yeah. Um, anyway, the point is, I had a lot of time inside and not much to do with it. So I put on my big fluffy coat and I went down to the forest and cut down a birch tree because that's something that you could do and yep. i i went back and i ordered some some more knives and i went to an antique store and bought a crappy hatchet and i had such a good time that when uh when we came back to australia i was completely hooked and i've i've been carving obsessively ever since then <laughs> okay so that time between when you were much younger just kind of yeah, yeah. Pl- playing more or less yeah. hacking around and then and then this point where you 
carved the first spoon. Was there, were you doing crafting or anything, working with your hands in between those times? Um, <clears throat> I mean, not really, no. I was always interested in woodworking. I, I mean, I, I've always been the kind of guy who sort of watches hundreds of hours of, of YouTube content about anything that I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, so there were sort of like eight or 10 different hobbies that I could have gone into that I would have already had a, a pretty comprehensive knowledge of before I started. Yeah. Um, so that's how it was for me with, with spoon carving. I remember I, um, I probably typed into YouTube, like how to carve a spoon. And I ended up watching the video with Adam Hawker on Z outdoors, which I imagine was the gateway video for a lot of us. But, um, that one really captured my attention and I tried to copy that method and I did it over and over again. I remember when I first started, I was making these tiny little dinky teaspoons that were, um, they were super cute and I, I can never carve anything so whimsical today. <laughs> yeah. I just can't do it. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you, yep, started, you kind of ran, and then when you went out there and started chopping into this tree, you carved a spoon that first time. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, I carved several spoons. Um, I don't even know how many I carved, at least a dozen while I was there. It, it was in like a, a two-week time period. Yeah. Um, I was pretty quick at it from, from the get-go. Uh, I think I've never been a particularly precious or or um, uh, I don't know how you would say, like, like well-considered kind of deliberate person. So I just had a go and, and hacked away and, and had fun. Um, and I found I, I would sit out in the, sit out in the, um, it was in the, the playroom of my, my, the house that belongs to my parents-in-law. Um, they, they live in a converted warehouse that's attached to their taxi business. So this is upstairs. Uh -huh. And there's this huge room that is, has just got all sorts of stuff in it that I uh, set up a little carving corner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. So more or less like, yeah, from the start, huh? That first time doing it and carving those first few spoons, like you said, that was triggered something and. Yeah. And I have to say it was, it was, I mean, apart from my obsessive YouTube video watching, it was very self-directed. Like I, um, I just sort of went and, and did it how I felt like. And then eventually I figured out about some of the finer points, like, oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if my spoons could have an angle between the handle and the bowl? Like mm. before I understood the concept of, of putting a crank in your spoons, I think most beginners start making these funny little flat spoons. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can relate to that because I was quite similar and I just started chopping and uh, wanted to make a spoon and then kind of started looking to the YouTube and uh, finding out little things I could try and change kind of as I went. So it was similar to you in that, in that regard. Uh-huh. And then you did it for a while and now you're, it's a big part of your lifestyle and you're um, going to markets and you're sharpening tools and doing a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and creating content and things. So did that happen kind of organically, the, the jump to just having fun with it to, to realizing that you could sell spoons and you could now you're teaching people and you could take it much further. Did that happen over time or did you decide at a time, Hey, I could sell this and pass this knowledge on? Um, well, I had been trying to sell my spoons ever since I thought that they were like reasonably good. Yeah. Um, so like several years ago now, I, I like, I would get a dozen spoons and I would walk around to different like homeware stores and I would try and sell them the spoons. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. I, I would just, just walk right in the door and, and show them and say, what do you think of these? <laughs> hey, cool. That's gutsy. Yeah. And I got some interesting responses, but I did sell a few at that early stage and looking back on it now, those, those spoons were very rustic, but I'm sure <laughs> the people, the people who bought them probably appreciated them anyway. Um, but I, I'd say the, t the turning point for me when I began to see all of the different, different things that I could do as a green woodworker was um, in early 2019, I got the opportunity to do a residency at a craft gallery in Victoria in Melbourne. Um, so this, this place is called craft Victoria and they do a lot of exhibitions and sort of 
programs for makers and they have a store in their in their little shop um, and so they put me and a few other sort of emerging makers um, in their gallery space for three days and so I would I would go there for three days um, business hours so like eight to four and I would just chop away make spoons and talk to people in the shop and I think the interest that came out of that and the people walking through the store and, and being just fascinated by what I was doing was what made me consider sort of making my craft a bit more public facing um, and trying to get out there and interact with people. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> with the with the small amount of money that I made from that, I was able to buy a Tormek. And then that opened up a lot of avenues for me in regards to like not just having services to the general public who might want to buy a spoon, but starting to provide services for other carvers. And that was something that I really had a lot of interest in. So I thought, well, I can sharpen your tools. I can teach. I can show you how to do it the way that I figured it out over time. Because I learned myself basically through attrition. I just carved spoons over and over and over and over again until I got better at it. But there's a much better way to do it than, than that. Which is which is to find someone experienced and and sort of pay for a little bit of their time. Yeah, yeah, that that was definitely going to be one of my questions. Was yeah, how you learned, and then now that you're teaching, how do you think is the kind of optimal way? And maybe it depends on your situation if you've got access to things. But what would you say? You'd say in person is definitely a good way to go for someone starting out if you if you can a workshop or just asking hey yeah. can i come and carve with you yeah for sure um i think the, the best the best thing to do is to enroll yourself in a workshop because then you get that that sort of cohort experience with the other folks who come along yeah um but and then um i think through my experience teaching the the, the people who come to my classes they seem to really enjoy the experience together instead of enjoying it as a, as a singular thing that they, that they're going to do on their own. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you're lucky enough to live in a place, uh, where there is a spoon gathering, like for example, the, like spoon fest, or, uh, I don't honestly know the name of the ones in Europe, but I know that they exist. Um, and then here in Australia, we have spoon jam. And that's an even better option to go and take a course there because then you know that the people who are going to be learning with you are going to have a similar level of enthusiasm, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Because uh-huh. it takes all sorts to come to a carving class and it's not always someone who's doing it because they're obsessed with spoon carving and want to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, initial introduction course exactly be quite different to someone who's already kind of got the bug and is willing yeah, to share yeah. i mean even within yourself within a few yeah. months and years i i'm sure everyone has a lot of stuff they've already learned within those months and years mm, that they're mm. available to pass on even if they don't want to like officially teach just by kind of sitting next to someone with experience i'm sure there's a lot of uh yeah and another thing i think people maybe are a bit intimidated but i think the the community around green woodworking and spoon carving in particular has grown so much in recent years that you can find a spoon club in most places if you look um and there's places where you can look and generally people will be very happy to have you yeah um having having said that it is it is important to sort of figure out whether or not they're the spoon club is an appropriate place for you to go as like a beginner who's never carved before or whether you should like have a go on your own and then maybe come along. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, here I, I, when I initially started, I did also look for that myself, but never found it here, even though Hamburg and Germany where I'm living is a bigger city. There's nothing I'm aware of. Maybe that's something I can, look into yeah, because that I, sounds I, like sounds like a space for you because yeah. that was my experience i i looked it up i was like okay spoon carving courses in melbourne where i was living at the time and um there was one bloke who would come in and do a spoon carving course at a local environment farm and he would do it every, once a few once every few months okay. but he was tra- he was traveling from somewhere else there was nowhere there was no one who was who was really local and was gonna sort of provide all of the related 
things that help a spoon carving class to go smoothly. Like, for example, it's really good if you can help them source green wood. It's really good if you can help them with their tools because a lot of the time beginners to spoon carving are also going to be beginners to sharpening and they're also not going to be confident on where they can go out and find a bit of green wood to carve as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's more around it that needs to be uh, yeah, figured out yeah. and learned about yeah. differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when you, I saw a, a YouTube video, yeah, you've got a lot of content for anyone listening that wants to go and, and watch some of your content. It's really cool with, uh, again, different, different things, sharpening videos and kind of tutorials and showing different things, saw restoration and... And one of the videos was you axing out blanks, preparing for a, a workshop. Um, so is that is that what you always do? You provide blanks? I was wondering because I talked to Greg Nelson, my last guest, and he how he did his um, workshops was more or less demonstrate for free and let people just watch and the people interested could stay on and pick up tools. And I thought that was quite a, a nice way to do it. Um, how do you structure your workshops? Has that changed or do you have something that you've figured out that works well? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, at the moment, there's two, two main different types of workshops that I will do. Um, one of them is, is what I would consider an introductory course. Like it's not a course, it's a single day class. It's a uh -huh. like introductory class to green woodworking. Yeah. And so that is the example where I will um, sit down and chop out a bunch of blanks before I come. Um, because the idea with the introductory class is to make it as accessible as possible. Um, so that means I chop out the blanks and then when the students turn up for the workshop, I'll do a little demonstration for them and, and show them how, how we got from a log to what they're gonna start with. Okay. And then we'll get stuck in learning about knife grips and hook knives and carving safely and mindful carving and sort of efficient body techniques so yeah. i really jump jump in at the deep end with the with the knife work but i've found that a lot of people who want to start spoon carving aren't really willing or don't have the confidence to go and get an axe and start chopping right away um, so for those people it's good to introduce them in a slightly more um, accessible way for them and having said that, the other type of class I do requires about double the amount of time. And that's where we start from scratch and do everything. Uh -huh. Okay. But you advertise that up front, um, kind of that this, do you, yeah, I guess you yeah. give a description of the workshop yeah. so people yeah. know. Mm -hmm. And I've, and I've never really had anyone who was bothered by the fact that we start with blanks that I've prepared ahead of time. Because uh -huh. um, there is a lot there's a lot to be said that that axe work is sort of the most important skill to learn, which is something that that's my opinion. I do think it is the most important skill to learn. Um, but as I said, you gotta you gotta start somewhere, and if you if you don't want to start by by booking a, a class that's twice as long and twice as expensive, mm. then then you can maybe choose the option that's a little bit a little bit um, less of an ask for someone who just wants to dabble their toes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that you say nobody nobody minded like missing that part of the process, I guess. If you don't know no, it at all, yeah. you don't notice it's missing. But it's funny because yeah. I, I taught once like a, a free, I guess you could call it work, workshop for a friend uh, in Berlin who teaches different things. And he asked me to come and teach spoon carving. And I also prepared blanks and had some uh, entire pieces of wood. And I showed them the blanks and things. And I said, yeah. And I showed them how I axe it out. So you can start here at this point and start with a knife or start with axe. And everybody wanted to start with the axe. Like, oh, nobody, that's funny. Nobody, that's... I guess, because they saw it maybe. And I gave yeah. them that option and they yeah. saw, oh, the axe, that looks fun. Or, yeah. You know what? I have the opposite experience. When, when I do the demonstration of the axe work and once it, well, I'll, I'll set the scene. I, I come in, I'm holding a great big heavy axe. And I show them and it takes me 10 minutes to ax out a spoon blank. Yeah. Um, and I think by the time I finish them in the demonstration, I get people coming up to me and, and saying, oh, geez, that looks too hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which is not how I feel. It's just that um, 
when you're a real fresh beginner, X work takes a really, really long time um, because you before you can start to swing the X with confidence, um, you need to sort of understand how to use it safely. And then you're worried about breaking your spoon and you're worried about all of these other things. And uh, it's just beginners are just so trepidatious with the X in, in my experience. Yeah. And it's easy to, um, when someone does this demonstration, make it look pretty easy and then you quickly yeah. realize unless yeah. you've worked with hand tools before yeah. an axe it's quite yeah. a different thing so yeah i guess well it, go ahead oh it's what i always say to people when which happens quite often when they see me working and they feel discouraged because because i can do it 10 times faster than them yeah but it's, it's it's just repetition 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 and and all sorts of weird muscles that normal people don't use every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but nobody goes away from the class feeling discouraged because by the end of the several hours that that we spend together, they've they've figured out that yes, they can get they can get there in their own way, and it might just take a little bit longer. But it, you can feel your improvement just at the end of three hours of practice. It's not like you've um, you've got to spend days and days and days practicing before you can see an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You can get a feeling for it rather, rather quickly. I, yeah. Mm. Within hours or, or days. Yeah. And is there something then No, so the X work might be something people struggle with. And is there anything else that you noticed over the time that people have the same issues where they struggle with, with confidence or the technical skills? Is there, something there uh yeah i can think of a few yeah i think the the biggest um thing that my students usually struggle with is getting their thumb out of the way when carving the bowl of the spoon but still uh-huh. keeping a good grip on the spoon yeah so like you know when you when you're carving across the grain in the bowl of the spoon and you you've got your hook knife coming towards your thumb which is tucked under under the rim of the bowl yeah um the the positioning of your spoon knife holding hand to get a good cut doing that is really tricky. Um, mm-hmm. And that, uh, that gen- in general, I would say using the spoon knife effectively is, is the thing that takes the most practice. Okay. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, it's much different to a, a straight knife, which is most people have had some experience with in the kitchen to some degree. Yeah. 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 But the other the other thing is when I start my class, I, I show them sort of like the classic whittling technique that, that everyone's done at a campfire and I tell them that we're not going to be doing that at all. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> like, because um, where I'm always, my courses are all about body mechanics and they're all about carving efficiently. Um, so I'm, I'm teaching them the, the knife grips that I use every day and trying to stick to learning those techniques um, because if if you carve in a really sort of free form as you feel kind of way, um, you can very quickly learn some not so good habits with your knives. Um, yep. And in my experience, it's better to just drill in the. I'm not going to say the correct way because there is no correct way, but to to drill in the um, sort of tried and tested and and proven effective methods of doing it. Okay, so you would suggest even if it feels awkward for beginners to stick with it for a certain amount of time and they'll get a feeling. It's funny because uh, yeah, saying exactly. that like yeah. the, the chest lever the grip chest that lever I see cut. you yeah. use yeah. a lot of and yeah. probably most people do, I like hardly ever use this and I still yeah. get away with it, but maybe I will take your advice now and, and spend some more time to get to know this particular uh, cutting method. The other, the other thing is that I've found is that obviously everyone's body is different and different people sort of excel or struggle at different things. Yeah. So um, if you like, for example, with that chest lever grip, if you try and try and try and you just can't do it very well, then I will say, well, why don't you try this other way of doing it where you tuck the knife in front of your knee and pull with your other hand uh-huh, um, okay. and, and sit down on a chair where, where you can get the same sort of results, but but with less of a, because some people struggle to get the chest lever up far enough into their chest to make it effective. Um, Mm -hmm. And some people struggle to move both hands and shoulders at the same time. 
or the most common mistake is is holding the, the correct position but then just trying to use only one hand okay yeah yeah yeah, and that's where, so the, again, going, going back to what we said before, workshop in person, you being able to see that and point that out and think about this and giving uh, yeah. cues to, to uh, get a better yeah. feeling for it. That's why, that's why I think in-person teaching, in, in teaching is, is so valuable is because, like, for example, I teach a small class size of less than 10, um, usually only five or six and I will demonstrate a technique and then I'll walk around and make sure everyone has understood it and is, is sort of on the way to doing it well. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of individual time with the instructor that I think is really valuable. And obviously with, with the way things are now and in, in a lot of the world, it's maybe not so possible to, to attend an in-person class, but, but when it is, it's something that I think everyone should try at least once. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Um, a question I would have now that you're yeah doing these different things, um, sharpening services and selling spoons and creating content. Um, what else are you doing? <laughs> yeah, lots of <laughs> lots of things around yeah. the around the green yeah. woodwork. So, what what takes up kind of most of your time? Is there something that you put most of your time and energy into within these different things? How do your days and um, weeks look? I would say I spend the majority of my time making spoon blanks. Um, yeah. In terms of my working time, productive working time, I spend most of that making spoon blanks for customers. Okay. Because um, I find that the there's a lot of people out there who want to learn on their own terms. Um, and like I said, there's a, there's a lot of people out there who maybe don't want to pick up an X. So they will come to someone like me who offers like a spoon blank service and they'll say, okay, can I get this many this often? Um, and that's a nice little way for me to help out. Um, of, of course, I would love to encourage those people to sort of have a go and do the whole process themselves. But you, you also have to remember that there's, there's a, a, a not like not a small amount of people out there for who, for whatever reason, can't use an X like um, people who have, sort of joint issues or arthritis or or any any other kinds of issues that might stop you from doing the whole process and and maybe they need to start at a more achievable stage yeah or yeah it's funny for me i never realized and it seems like this is quite a a, a big part of the of the scene is spoon blanks getting sold and people buying them and working like this i didn't even realize it was an option until yeah yeah, yeah. i didn't i didn't I didn't really know very much about it until people started asking me uh, if I could sell uh -huh. them spoon blanks. Oh, okay. I said, I said, yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. <laughs> it takes me, t takes me 10 minutes to make a spoon blank. I can make some for you. Yeah. Um, and then when I started to post about it, uh, I just had a lot of interest in those and I get a steady amount of orders for them pretty much every month from, from beginners and from people who've bought my blanks before and they're going to buy more of them. Um, so it's, yeah. It's not the most exciting thing to do in the world, but it does mean that I've got a lot, a lot, a lot of axe practice. Yeah. Because because I've axed out hundreds and hundreds <laughs> more spoons than I've ever finished okay. myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the video where you're where you're doing it um, in your YouTube video, you can tell you've done it, done it a lot. <laughs> it's very fast yeah. and effective, and and you take them really thin, probably much thinner yeah. than myself yeah. and other people. It's very fine. You you do the axe work. Well, I, that's how I do it for, for my own work. So I, I sort of, I do the same quality for customers, um, which I think people are often are surprised by that there's actually not very much knife work to do when you, when you get an act, a blank that's been axed out that way. Yeah. But that's just how I like to spend my time. Um, and, but with, with that, it comes a sort of a tolerance of failure. So I, I accept the fact that every now and again, I will swipe an axe straight through the bowl of the spoon and I'll have to start again because I choose to axe so close to the line. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, the speed you're doing it you and you've got uh, plenty of wood, I, I assume, like uh, sourcing wood isn't a problem for you. Where do you source uh, your wood from? It used to be fine, but it's becoming a problem now that I've moved to Perth. Um uh -huh there's not so much green wood available here as there was in Melbourne. 
Yeah. Uh, I couldn't really couldn't really tell you why, but I think it's because there's less European and introduced trees here than there are in the rest of the country. Perth has its own sort of ecosystem, and a lot of it is is still um, endemic and and native to this area, which is great. It's wonderful from an ecological perspective, but from a spoon carving perspective, a lot of those timbers are impossible to cut off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. In Melbourne, I mean, I lived in Melbourne myself for a while, and yeah, it was definitely much more green and heaps of trees and parks, as you say. And Perth, yeah, yeah. I haven't been to Perth, but I imagine it also quite uh, sparse in the way of uh, trees and things. Oh, it's not exactly sparse, but it's more of a bush, more of a bush landscape than Melbourne is. Yeah. Melbourne still is quite a European landscape um, in the city, and Perth, you wouldn't, you would never, you would never forget that you're in Australia, mm-hmm. whereas in Melbourne you could. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you've lived in Perth now for a, a few months, or how long have you been there? I moved here in De- in December. Okay, yeah, so not long, and I guess it not takes long, a little yeah. while to yeah, get to know the place and and the sources of wood and and the new market and things. Um, I saw you have already been at a market in Perth. What sort of market are those? Are they craft markets or food and crafts or what sort of market? Um, so there's there's two markets that I'm generally doing at the moment, um, but there's a lot to choose from. There there's dozens of markets that I could do, and that's just these are the ones that I've chosen. Um, the one of them is a farmers market, which you know has like fresh produce, um, food, drinks, um, and then there are also some crafty people such as myself who will come along. So from the top of my head, there's there's myself with the wooden spoons, and I'm I'm obviously quite new to that market. And then there is um, this guy Christian, who makes really interesting wooden toys from from WA Native Woods, and I think that's about it as far as crafty stuff goes. There's a lot of like mm-hmm. um, eco dyed clothes and and sort of hippie stuff, kombucha, you know, mm-hmm. like the the classic the <laughs> classic urban farmers market stuff. Um, yeah. But I really love I really love the farmers market. It's not like the most not the most foot traffic, not the most profitable way to to spend a day. But what I do appreciate about it is that I will go and set up my stall and then I'll just make spoons all day. And if I sell some, it's a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Generally it is. I've always enjoyed the kind of vibe at those markets. People are generally in a good mood and out and about with their families. That's very nice. So I like the sort of community vibe of the, of the farmer's market. Um, and the other market I do is is more of a craft market, and that's one where only you're only allowed to have a stall there if if you're made it locally. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's pretty cool that that they're able to stipulate that and still have such a a big successful market. Yeah, that's nice, definitely, to have local make, makers and creative people all, all together. Mm. That reminds me a lot of. Um, Nelson, my hometown in New Zealand, was very much yeah. a craft market with homemade, also the produce, but all uh, mm. locally made. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was very nice for people to come together and yeah. share yeah, their no, passion. Markets are great for me because my, I mean, as far as spoon carvers go, my spoons are definitely up there in price. Um, and it can be hard to appreciate what you're buying unless you can pick it up and turn it around. Yeah. So definitely in-person markets, as far as um, selling actual spoons go, has been the the best way for me. Mm-hmm. And for people to see you doing the work yeah. there, right in front of them. Yeah. What sort of questions yeah. do you get from the people then? <laughs> what do they want to know? I get all sorts of questions. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the most common question and probably the most annoying question is, uh, "Did you make all this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, and um, the other one is um, I don't, I'm, I'm quite, quite particular about not putting any prices on my work on the stall. Um, mm-hmm. So people will go, oh, how much is this one? How much is this one? How much is this one? And yeah. the response from them when I tell them how much they are is, is often incredulous. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's funny. It's a it's a funny little experience for me. And I've I've gotten gotten to the stage now where I'm sort of confident enough in my own work to not feel insulted when people think that it's so expensive and they never buy spend that on a wooden spoon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's also yeah. No big. 
thing to think about once you sell, right? Pricing yeah. and yeah. How, how much is it worth? I guess I thought about this a little bit and, and I was thinking about, because also some people are going more um, production carving and carving the same spoons over and over mm. and, and you can order that particular spoon and other people are very much creating one-offs the whole, all the time. Mm-hmm. And it could be possible. I feel like I'm creating more one-offs just for myself, but I, I definitely feel like an attachment to some. And that mm. could be tempting to, if I was going to sell it, put it into the price because this is the special one, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't apologize for doing that. I mean, if I if I carve a spoon that I think is extra special, I'm going to charge mm-hmm. more for it. Yeah. Um, because I am the best judge of my own work. Um and if I think a spoon is really good, it's because it's better than the other ones. <laughs> yeah, true. You know it yourself, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, sometimes it's subtle, subtle little things that your average punter won't know or care about. But um, that's fine. I, I, I'm always happy to explain it to anyone who asks, like, oh, why is this one more than that one? I'll say, mm-hmm. oh, well, there's this sort of decorative carving on it, or I've hollowed out the handle, or I did this interesting kind of side profile shape or you know whatever it is that makes it different from the rest yeah now that's fair enough and yeah if you're willing to explain it to them i'm sure they okay understand yeah well i mean my my general spiel my spiel when people come up to my stall is is um is telling them that each of these uh are are unique and if any of them catch their eye you can just point it out to me and i'll tell you the story of that particular spoon because Mm -hmm. i because i make everything unique even spoons that i that i try to make a bunch of the same spoons they're all different in enough of a way for me to recognize which one is which um so i'll I'll say oh you know i got that wood when my friend pip called me to say that her cousin had spotted a log down the side of the road in dandenong and (laughs) so her cousin scrabbled down the bank and brought it back up and then we uh, each got a bit at Spoon Club and I went home and made this spoon. Or, you know, like every spoon has a story like that behind it. Yeah, it's crazy how much... Uh, I am rem- I know what you mean because I have carved yeah. now at least hundreds of spoons and I can pick one up and, and exactly yeah. tell you what sort of yeah. wood it is and yeah. what, uh, what troubles it gave me. It's funny how yeah. that really and, sinks in. Yeah, and I like to try and remember wh- where the wood came from and who gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I love to to be able to explain sort of the connection, like the story of the tree, if you know what I mean. Like, like what was this before I carved it into a spoon and where did I get it? Because people often, I think, without spending too much time thinking thinking about it, they might assume that I just go to the hardware store and buy a plank of wood. But yep. um, that's obviously not the case. Yeah, totally. Uh, there's often exactly story with it. Do you have any... Um... Any funny stories in with spoons? My my last ge- uh, guest, Greg, told me he ran out of wood and he ended up carving spoons out of his axe block be- because <laughs> he was so short. So those spoons are obviously rather unique. And oh. I myself found a, a log in the lake here in summer. I was swimming around <laughs> and submerged. I felt something hard under my feet and I pulled it out and it was a birch log about yeah, a oh, meter wow, and a half. Great. And it was covered yeah. in mussels. It had yeah. been under there for a long time, possibly yeah, months or years. And I was like, oh, yeah. I wonder. So I fished it out and carved spoons out of it. So it was definitely a unique Pro- piece. Probably probably the um, the funniest story for me is when I got a tip off from my Spoon Club group chat on Instagram that, that there was this house in, in Coburg that was going to be demolished the next day. So I went uh, with my big saw and drove over there it was 9 p.m at the time and i got there it was dark everywhere and i i went out and i was going to chop down this olive tree in the front yard because the the house was going to be demolished the next day and the bulldozers bulldozers were just going to run over it and i got there and there was a bunch of other blokes there and they were transplanting a mandarin tree so they while they were digging up this mandarin tree to chuck it in their ute and and drive it to their place and try and plant it in their own yard uh-huh. I was I was there with my um, with my silky saw, chopping down this olive tree and 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 cutting it up into little logs to put in the in the back of my i thirty hatchback. Oh, nice! <laughs> Which and and this is this is all at at, at nine p.m. with dog walkers looking at us with with confusion in their eyes. 
Yeah. But yeah, you go on these sort of strange adventures to get wood when you're a spoon carver. I, I don't have any like particularly funny stories like you described, but <laughs> but I'd say that's the most out, out of my way that I've ever gone to to chop down a tree. Yeah. Yeah, how was that uh, um, olive wood to carve? I haven't done that myself and we don't have olive uh, trees growing around us, so I'm yet to try that. Um, I love I love olive wood. Um, it's The sapwood is, is this really nice, creamy, milky white color, kind of pale yellow. Um, and when you get the really big bits, they've got this gorgeous sort of brown, brown um, pink coloring in them and it's it, when it's nice and green it's it's smooth and easy to carve and it takes a really gorgeous finish when it's dry um i think olive wood is maybe a little bit maligned due to the the sheer quantity of mass-produced things that are that are made out of it um in some parts of the world but when you get your hands on it as a green woodworker i think it's quite special to carve mm -hmm. yeah it's true there's often um in shops even i don't know where they're getting made from these spoons but it's quite often olive olive wood uh spoons and i'm not even sure how they're produced to be honest if they're like yeah with machines yeah. but you see it often i wonder where they're coming from i don't know i've seen everyone's seen them i've seen them myself and they're yeah. always for an impossibly low price yep um um so i think i i've got this sneaking suspicion that they're all made in a sweatshop somewhere but i would mm. rather not believe that it's true mm. yeah it's yeah, it's a bit of a yeah sad thought. We we were looking at um, spoons from around the world and places, and that's quite interesting to talk about with you because you did a study and have talked about a lot this cow spoon, which is a very particular spoon from a from uh, Wales, a particular place with a particular yeah, kind of yeah. history. Yeah, and then there's other spoons which are. Um, don't have kind of any history or anything like we looked up african spoons just to have a look of of makers are there people is there anything kind of coming up and there's lots of uh -huh. spoons you can buy but it's never yeah. um a name put to it it's just kind of this yeah, yeah. beautiful work but who's doing it and where and how yeah. it's kind of the yeah. story gets lost with a lot of a lot of that kind of work yeah, I mean, it's funny you mention because I think um, in the later stages of the 19th century and into the 20th, 20th century, cow spoons and, and love spoons in particular did become a bit of a tourist item as well. Uh -huh. But it didn't it didn't have the same dimension to it as 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 in Africa, where you've got the the history of the trans transatlantic slave trade informing everything that goes on after it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I don't I don't know anything about that, so I can't speculate, but. I, yeah. I, I've also seen those spoons and, and wonder sort of who made them and where they came from. Mm -hmm. There's a nice uh, video on YouTube. If you type in like Moroccan spoons, uh, Jojo Wood, it's on her channel. I randomly found yeah. it and it shows spoons being produced in a market in Marrakesh and it's kind of uh, chain work. There's one person mm -hmm. doing the, they're not actually using an ax, which is interesting. They're using an ads. Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah passes it on to the next guy and each kind of it's like a production yeah. line of these yeah. also quite typical i think uh moroccan style serving spoons and there's just masses of them they've got piles of them behind them so they yeah yeah have a big process for it but again get sold at a market for probably a few euros at the end of it yeah mm. and that's the same thing with the with the cow spoons historically is that the um the uh, the spoon carver like the the master the the guy who owned the spoon carving business would come in in the morning and and would bang out a few dozen cow spoon blanks with his axe and then his apprentices would have to sit there for the rest of the day and finish them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, to produce to to produce enough to for demand. Yeah, so they would they would travel and they would take them to markets mm -hmm. um, because people still use them. Yeah. Do you have? That's obviously one specific uh, style you looked into and you enjoy carving. I think there is, is there a tutorial of you doing it on your channel? Um, not think. really. Um, okay. There's, I haven't posted one myself, but there is a, a the recording of my live demonstration on Rise Up and Carve, which is available on uh -huh. their channel. Uh -huh, um, so, so that one is a bit long. It's, it's over an hour, but... <laughs> I, I talk a lot and I carve a lot in that video. 
um, you can sort of skip the first 20 minutes of it when I'm just trying to, just trying to split open the log. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a bit of, um, jacaranda wood, which was, is notoriously hard to split. Yeah. Do you have, would, do you have a favorite type of spoon eating, cooking, serving, or a favorite uh, shape of spoon to carve that you could say? Uh, yeah, I like, I like, I think, the same as a lot of spoon carvers, I like eating spoons. And if I had the choice, I would just make eating spoons over and over and over again. Um, mm. wouldn't, wouldn't really be interested in making anything else except maybe the occasional ladle if I got the right bit of wood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my answer. And I like design-wise, I like to carve my spoons very simple. Um, sort of no decoration, very basic shape, um, sort of egg-shaped bowl and a, a simple tapered handle. And then I take that simple shape and I sort of iterate over it and, and try and do the best I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is that then what you carve most of, or are you carving still those other types because they're getting sold more or do you carve mostly yeah. the spoons you enjoy? I carve mostly the spoons I enjoy, but if I'm going to go to a market, then I'll spend some time making things that I think people actually want to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, butter spreaders, cooking spoons, um, spatulas, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I do, I still enjoy that. Like it's still, I still love to carve anything. Um, but the thing that is the most intellectual challenge and rewarding sort of thing for me to carve is, is still a very simple eating spoon. Yeah. I, and I sort of, I never fell into the rabbit hole of decoration that I think a lot of people do. Um, maybe it'll happen sometime, but anytime I've tried those sorts of, intricate fiddly stuff i just it doesn't appeal to me so i just don't do it mm-hmm. yeah that's also another yeah interesting topic i uh emmett made a emmett van drescher he's a podcast and he he uh, made a topic uh, an episode about it so that was quite mm. interesting to hear his thoughts on it and i explained in my comment my thoughts on it that for me it's definitely a a big part of it and i really love the creative side of it and i'm free mm-hmm. to play and try things and yeah yeah and some people like you say put a lot of attention to that and other people uh not so much yeah some people the decoration it's the the spoon exists for the purpose of decoration mm-hmm. yeah um and then other people um just are making a spoon to use and that's my approach really i like to make a spoon that's nice to use and I, every time I carve a spoon, I, I try it in my hands and I like feel what it would be like to eat with. And then I'll sort of make tweaks and tweaks and tweaks until it's just right. And, and that's what I spend my time on. Yeah. Do you have uh, quality controls in the household? Do you ask your partner <laughs> or, or your child? Because I, I do that quite uh, often as give it to give it to my wife and here what do you think and she points some things out and gives her opinion it's quite fun um my partner likes a very particular type of spoon um she likes a spoon that um that has a sort of a narrow bowl that's not too long and a a a quite short simple handle um so i make spoons for her in the style that she likes and um i've come to appreciate that as well i mean myself i like i like a spoon that's that's a little bit asymmetrical, um, a little bit fatter at the end. Um, but it's, it's all down to whatever I'm eating. So like it, it, the, the possibilities for tweaking are endless because different spoons excel at different things. Um, and you can, you can just spend, you could spend hours and hours carving a spoon for eating a particular meal if you wanted to. Yeah. They might not be like the ultimate all around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I give I give my spoons to my daughter. She's two. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was younger, she liked to play with them, but now she uses them, um, and she doesn't discriminate. <laughs> a spoon's a spoon, is a spoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kids' way, they'll find a way to make yeah. it work. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And now I'm wondering another question. Yeah, because we're both into the into the spoons and the process and everything around it. It's fascinating for us and and many others once you kind of get into that world. And do you know what it is? It's possibly multiple things. And and I'm thinking about it sometimes. Why do I keep coming back? And why do I, why is it, um, yeah, drive me so much to 
carve the next one and carve the next one. And I think it's a bunch of different things for me personally, but do you know what it is for you or some of the things? Um, I think what attracted me to spoon carving in the first place is that I think spoon carving has something really good going for it, which is it's a hobby where you can sit down in a single sitting and complete something satisfactorily. Um, so like there are all sorts of woodworking that you can learn to do where you can spend weeks and months on a project. And, and then if you make any mistakes early on there, you're going to carry them with you. Um, but what I appreciate about carving spoons is if I'm carving a spoon and I don't like it, I just throw it away and start again because it doesn't take that long. Um, and maybe that's not something that everyone will relate to, but that's how I feel. I, I just love that that I can sit down and, and carve a spoon in a single sitting and, and be happy with what I make and get to use it and see that it's making some sort of pleasant addition to my life or someone else's. That's what I like about it. Yeah. And because spoons are such an intimate item, like um, you, if you've got a favorite spoon, you use it every day. Um, you put it in a special place, you know, you take care of it. Um, you appreciate using it when you do. And I think that's something that's really valuable. And it's nice to, to be able to provide that for people, assuming that there are any, any other people out there who feel the same way about spoons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess some people it uh, might take a while to, to feel that way yeah. at first, but I think it can come. Like we had it with yeah. my yeah. partner also. She thought it was weird that I was carving so many eating yeah. spoons and I was doing yeah. it because I enjoyed all the, all yeah. the options and yeah. I carved her one and she at the start was like, nah, it feels weird and the wood and yeah. uh. but yeah. now she uses it all the time and she's like, I don't know why. Now I really like using the spoon. So that's <laughs> quite yeah. funny. We we had this funny moment on um, when, when we realized that we had been using wooden spoons for so long that if you picked up a metal spoon and put it in your mouth, it tastes funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's when you have to start taking your own one to like, restaurants and when you go out and eat <laughs> yeah like... yeah i've seen i've seen people doing that i'm not quite at that level yet i i mean i will we'll put a wooden spoon and and i especially like my wooden forks because they're so versatile so like you put a wooden spoon and a wooden fork in your travel bag and you never have to use a shitty bit of plastic cutlery ever again yeah yeah that's definitely a nice thing right the not having to use yeah. disposable throwaway cutlery yeah yeah and i could i could i could go on and on about how i feel the the sort of eco cutlery movement that we currently live in is is misguided into um, encouraging us to to buy more cutlery instead of just using what we have but um like if you ever go to like an eco store and you see these like bamboo spoons and forks that just look kind of crap yeah those are the ones i'm talking about because mm. it would be it would be great if those kinds of eco stores would sort of support a local artist you know like there's there's always a spoon cover in the city and, and usually there's someone who's pretty good but yeah. um no it it's doesn't have the same economy of scale that that um like what what about it being bamboo makes it eco you know what i mean <laughs> yeah true i i didn't think about this but yeah you're exactly right there's a lot of them out there and they're green and yeah <laughs> and no one's thinking about why <laughs> no and do you think, do you see people using that? Like, do you No, see I've them? never seen someone use them. I think mm -hmm. they buy them and put them in a drawer somewhere. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just another example of the sort of reusable movement encouraging people to buy more things instead of actually like analyze your consumption, which I feel like should be the message. Yeah. Yeah, that, I guess one of the difficult things is as a, a person creating spoons that are made to be used for a long time mm. and um, handmade is kind of being seen. Like maybe if we were standing next to the rack when they bought them and we pitched them like, yeah, hey, why yeah. don't you? But that's not yeah. so easy to, to be no. seen maybe. Yeah, and that's what's great about going to your local farmer's market and, and setting up your X block and chopping up some spoons so that you're sort of making making the craft visible and, and making it eye-catching and catching people's attention. Because um, everyone, no one will walk past someone chopping out spoons with an X and, and not, not stop to look for a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Kids, especially, they love it. Yeah, kids love it. I, yeah. I once attracted... 
I was at a night market um, and before it got too dark, I was, I was chopping out my spoons and I had attracted a crowd of 20 children who were watching everything I did with such, with such interest. And that's what made me realize that maybe I should start learning how to teach kids. <laughs> yeah. Have you done that? No, but I'd like to. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would like to sort of develop some, some content for learning to, to work with Greenwood that would be sort of appropriate for younger kids and, and seeing what they can whittle away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I haven't seen much of. I'm teaching, I'm working a lot with kids myself, but more in a physical uh in a physical way, like parkour and and training and things. But I think a lot of people are probably just scared. Like there's one thing, putting Mm. a knife in the hands of your own child, but somehow Mm. introducing them without, uh, yeah, the fear of someone getting hurt is a hard thing to figure out how to do. Well, there's a lot of, um, what's one thing that I'm really interested in as a parent is forest schooling. Um, And it's not something that I've delved too deeply into myself, but it is an a, a career path that I maybe see for myself in the future is, mm-hmm. as is these schools that sort of operate on the model of of taking a bunch of kids out into the woods and letting them play and and giving them tools and knowledge to interact with nature and and seeing how that can shape a learning experience in a in sort of getting out of the built environment and into a natural environment, and mm-hmm. and that's something that I think is could be really. Um, not only affirming for a child, but but sort of could could work really complementarily with um with spring carving or, or green woodworking as a as a as another way that of of um working with wood that sort of gets closer to those um pre-industrial ideas about craft and all that stuff that everyone read in the introduction to barnes book mm-hmm. yeah that would be interesting is there anything like that that you know of happening in australia these yeah, yeah, Those they're stores. everywhere. They're yeah. all over the place. Okay. Um, here, there's mm-hmm. go. Um, there, um, here we call them like bush kindies because we have a different kind of landscape here. Um, so some of the the stuff that's coming out of Europe isn't as applicable here as it is there. But um, there's definitely is a um, definitely is a, a a group of people doing that here. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think it's a really yeah cool thing for kids in Germany. I think they're one of the uh, more well-known places for these. I've forgotten the name of it here in Germany, but these kind of more or less wild schools where sometimes they're spending the whole day outside and yeah, really getting mm. a feel for the environment and for the weather and for uh, yeah, making stuff themselves. So that, that definitely sounds an interesting thing to 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 get into or or look into more. Mm. Mm. Um. Cool. I'm wondering, it's kind of a typical podcast question, I feel like. I've heard it on other podcasts, but I'm going to ask it to you now. Is there any yeah. uh, advice you would have given to yourself starting something you maybe wish you had started earlier or wish you tried, but some advice yeah. for yourself? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, my advice for myself would be to sort of swallow my pride as a um, self-motivated person and um, – go out and get some advice and, and get Uh someone to teach me. Um, Cause I had a great time learning to carve, teaching myself, doing it all from scratch. But um, I do sometimes wonder what my experience would have been like if I had learned the correct way from the start um, Mm -hmm. instead of sort of working it out on my own. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say is, is don't be, don't be afraid to seek tuition um, because there is, there's almost I think no one out there who couldn't learn some learn something from someone else. Um, and I think when I was carving, I was like, "Oh, this is great! I'm the best at this. I like I can I can do this so well. I don't need any help." Um, like, look how cool my spoons are. I'm, I'm probably like the best spoon carver around. <laughs> and this was bef- the, before I had discovered the community. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I was I was up out there carving spoons for a long time before I discovered that there was a community of of, of spoon carvers online. Mm-hmm. And then your your mind sort of gets opened up to just the quality of work that is out there in the world when when you see find that when you find it. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that when you started? Oh, only this is only five years ago. Okay, because I was going to say now a lot of people, I guess, are 
pretty quickly connected, maybe learning about it through online, through Instagram and, and YouTube. So they see the yeah, other people true. doing it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. maybe even five years ago, yeah, it wasn't the case as much. Maybe not as much. I think it's it's really, really starting to get bigger and bigger um, in the recent in recent years. And the other the other piece of advice that that I would give to myself, um, which is maybe not so applicable to myself, um, but it's just the advice I want to give everyone is to is to not be precious about your spoons. Um, sort of treat treat each spoon as a learning opportunity. Um, think about what you've learned while you carved that spoon, rather than how the spoon itself turns out. And then once you've carved hundreds and hundreds of spoons, um, you can start to carve a spoon for the spoon. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's important to always keep learning, and and if you don't if you don't like it, throw it away and start again. That's my opinion. Okay. Um, I don't like to I don't like to waste time on bad spoons. <laughs> I don't think a bad spoon can teach you very much. I think, um, and I know that that's maybe a controversial statement, but I I think that. Um, Anytime you anytime you realize that your spoon is bad, you may as well start again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, there's definitely differing opinions on that, right? People are yeah, always yeah. like, oh, try to make something out of it. Yeah, I'm getting yeah, better at that. Yeah. Into the pile, yeah. scraps, and uh, yeah, start again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you'll find, I think you'll find a similar attitude from some other carvers out there who have done this in a, in, you know, like trying to make a return for their time. You, you very quickly realize what is the, and this is an interesting point that um, some other carvers have brought up. Like um, if you follow Rachel Baton on Instagram, she's always talking about how you got to catch the failure early before you waste too much time on it and, and just carve the next one. And that's an idea that, that I've been slowly accepting. Um, and I, I'm sure I'll be a bit less zealous about it sometime, but for now I, I'm really into it. <laughs> yeah. But at least having it in your head when those little problems come up, yeah, yeah. and think and giving it a moment to think about: Do I really want to yeah. uh, keep keep with this one, or is this the point now? I've spotted something. Yeah. Hey, let it go. Because yeah. mm. personally, I I can get quite frustrated if I finish a spoon and then find the mistake. Um, so catching it early is 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 a nice thing for someone like me who like as more and more time that I spend on the spoon, the more and more grumpy I'm going to be if I break it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's and, good advice. Yeah. And yeah, and the other thing is if you if you break a spoon, um, put your tools down and, and don't carve another one. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I've spent, I spent angry carving. I spent a lot of time angry, angry carving where I'll, <laughs> I'll fuck up a spoon and then I'll fuck up three more because I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Um. It's 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 often time to um to hedge your losses <laughs> and 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 come at it again another day. Yeah. Uh, one last question, maybe in regards to broken yeah, spoons. Sure. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's more of a uh something to think about when you're selling and you want to make sure you're you're producing stuff that's. Yeah, not going to break. Do you actually have a way of um, strength testing? Do you have a certain test you do, or how do you? How uh, do you it, that? It's nothing formalized, but I do like. I'll um I'll hold it up to a light and make sure there's no transparencies, um, or if there is, that it's even all the way around. Um, I don't want any little spots that are going to poke through if you um if you bend it the wrong way, um, and then I I carve my spoons very thin um i generally carve my spoons very thin so they do have a degree of 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 breakability to them like if you step on one it will probably break um but i accept that my my opinion about the durability of spoons is is again maybe a bit blasé but but i feel that if you break a spoon during the normal use case of a spoon then you're doing something weird um <laughs> And so you just got to use the spoon for its appropriate purpose and it'll be fine. So yeah. I focus more on making them really great experience to use that spoon rather than trying to make them super strong and durable. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, don't, don't scoop ice cream with it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll break. Let it thaw out at least for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do, I do sort of bend them and, and, and see if they're going to take it, but I don't, I don't have any kind of formal testing process for them now. Mm -hmm. 
I'm and I've sh- never had anyone never had anyone contact me and say, "Help! I broke my spoon." So I must be doing something right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot um, for yeah answering my questions and having this chat today. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot uh, now, and and with the rise up, we met we met each other there, and that's also yeah. a great place for people to go to carve with other people if you don't know about the Rise Up and Carve group. Uh, yeah, I would I would very heartily recommend Rise Up and Carve to anyone. Um, I'm on there all the time. If you hop on, you'll probably meet me sometime. You'll definitely see me around. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a great place to yeah meet meet people from around the world, which is really cool, similar to what I'm doing here, talking to people from around the world. And yeah, to gather information, I've actually asked quite a lot of questions in there, like, hey, how do you do this and that, and learned yeah, a lot. Yeah. So. yeah. And you'll always hear a few different opinions as well. There's no um, mm-hmm. there's no gospel truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great. So, yeah, I'll um, put your details uh, when I post this, and so people can contact you and find out a bit more about you and, and follow your work and follow your story. So, yeah, thanks a lot again for for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. I had a great time. Cheers. Cool. See you, Julian. Thank you for listening to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast. If you want to contact Julian or follow his work, you can find him on his Instagram channel, Little Bear Sloyd, or his YouTube channel with the same name. If you want to contact me, I would love to hear from you. You can find me at Root Spoons on Instagram. I will, as always, put these details in the show notes. Thank you and happy carving. Happy carving.